Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Grace is greater. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, grace is greater. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationships. Grace is strong enough to hold you up when you're weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitterness. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointment. Grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. Grace is always greater, no matter what. Amen. Once again, it's so good to see all of you. I am grateful for each and every one of you. And Today we are just continuing in our series, Grace is Greater. And what we're doing is we're going through um, the second chapter in the book of Ephesians. And um, we're just looking at a few things that God's grace is greater than. It's actually greater than a great many other things, but specifically Ephesians 2, 2 talks about some things that we're looking at. So at this time, I'd like to invite everyone here to just get out your Bibles, um, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, we looked at verses 1, 2, and 3. So today, we're going to pick up in verse 4 and in verse 5. So last week, if you were here, um, it was a difficult passage. I mean, it wasn't difficult to understand (laughs) But it was indeed difficult to hear. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul told us what we are like apart from the grace of God. Every one of us, there is no one exempt from this. He said that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He said that we are disobedient, that we are depraved both in our appetites and in our actions. And finally, he said, the result of all this is that we are doomed. We are separated from a holy, loving God, and we're doomed to face God's judgment. So um, he, didn't, he didn't paint a really pretty picture. It was a dire state that Paul said, every one of us are in apart from the grace of God. But here was the thing that might possibly have been the most difficult thing to hear. Maybe the harshest part to hear was this. He said that we are absolutely lost in this condition and that we, in and of ourselves, can do nothing to deliver ourselves from that condition that we find ourselves in. Try as we might, and I know many of us today would say we have tried mightily all of our attempts at religious activities or maybe self-improvement never can make us right with God. So that's really the devastating news to hear. It really is. Like, like it's devastating to hear that I'm in that condition and that I'm lost. But I'm telling you, it is mind-boggling when you learn there's nothing that you can do about it in and of yourself. That's devastating. Like, like I was thinking about this. Like, 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 like if you came up to me, if, okay, if you came up to me and you said, Travis, um, you're physically weak, right? You're weak. It would hurt my feelings, right? It would, but, but in the end, I would say, you know what I can do? I can exercise. 
I can work out and I can become stronger. I have the ability in and of myself to get out of that condition. So even though the news might be bad, I can get out of it. And if someone was to come up to me and say, hey, Travis, you're a bad speller, that is true. It's true. Once again, I can, if I so choose, I'd like to think, get out of that condition, right? I can, I can do something in of myself. And someone could say to me, maybe, this would be true too. Hey, Travis, uh, you stink, man. You kind of smell bad. Once again, that very well may be true, but I can take a shower and I can smell better. We live in a day and an age when you hear that you're in a certain condition or you have a certain weakness or there's something that you need to improve. We live in a day and an age where you can go buy a book that's going to help you get out of that condition, really. But Paul has said there is no Well, there is a book, but there is no book that you can buy that's going to tell you step by step what you can do. Like, I kind of wanted to Google this, but um, we can go to Amazon, but there is no book on, um, um, what is it, uh, the dead, disobedient, depraved, lost, doomed, disobedient sinner for dummies. You know those for dummies? But they don't have it. Now, you can look at it any way you want. It's not there. There's nothing you can do. In and of yourself, there's nothing you can do. Those first three verses, they're devastating. They're devastating, all right? So, the question is this. I've been made aware that apart from the grace of God, I am doomed. I've been made aware through Paul and, and through multiple other scriptures in my own understanding, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to fix it. So the question is, what can a dead, disobedient, depraved, doomed person do if you find yourself in a condition that you cannot get out by yourself? Here's the answer. You need something outside of yourself, right? You need something greater than yourself. In our case, we need a divine intervention. We need a God that is all-powerful, all-satisfying, all-glorious, and all-loving to come intercede and to help us, to save us. And that's exactly what the two verses that we're looking at today is going to talk about. We must understand that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is divine intervention. God Almighty invades the dead, alien heart of the lost sinner and causes the dead sinner to become a living saint by his amazing grace. In these brief two verses... I kind of broke it up this way. In these brief two verses, we're going to see five truths about God's divine grace intervention. We're just going to walk through it. I know, I know. It, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's just, it's two verses. It's two verses. Let's listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say after he delivered those three verses last week as we read them. First thing he's going to say about the God's grace in verse 4 is God's grace is personal. It's personal. The sinner de- described in verses 1, 2, and 3, the only thing that that sinner could anticipate is wrath. It's all you can anticipate. Like, like, like you're dead, disobedient, you've sinned against God, you're hostile towards him, you can't help yourself to get out of it. The only thing you can anticipate is God's wrath. But then we get to verse 4, and everything changes with two simple words. Uh, I think maybe the most powerful, glorious words that can be found in the Bible. Church, I'm just going to read to you two simple words that change everything. Here's what Paul says. Verse 4, but 
God. But God. Two words. One is a conjunction. I broke it down. One's a personal noun. In English, we got six letters. That's it. But they just might be some of the greatest words found in the Bible because these two words tell us so much. They tell us the salvation originates in God. Salvation is from the person of God. It tells us who takes the initiative in this salvation. God does. Oh, it's glorious. We see here salvation originates in God. God always makes the first move because the sinner is incapable of making the first move towards God. First John 4.19, John 6.44, over and over again. These two words mark the difference between life and death, between a sin and sorrow, and the life lived for the glory of God. Now, here's something I spent too much time on. But it edified me greatly, and I'm going to share some of it with you. I started thinking this. Like, you you read the Bible, and and, and you're going to see over and over again that things seem dim. Things seem dire. From a human perspective, it looks like all is lost. But you're going to get the same kind of um, injunction from God, this intervention from God. You're going to see this kind of but God. So I thought I wanted to go back, and I wanted to see all the places in the Bible where this occurred. There's a lot of places, and I, I, I ran out of time, but I want to share some. I, wanna, I want you to see this. I want you to see this, but God, that God intervening on his own initiative, unilaterally doing things for his glory, changes everything. It's interesting. Very first time we see this, Genesis 3.9. Genesis 3.9. Here's what you got. Here's the setup. Here's what's going on. You got Adam and Eve. Right? Hanging out in the garden, everything good. They're, they're, they're cool with God. There's a great relationship. There is no division between them. They walk in the cool of the evening together. They can speak face to face. God says, listen, you can do anything you want to. God gives them a lot of good things that they can do. He said, I don't want you to do one thing. I don't want you to eat from the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden. If you do that, that's sin. You will die. The fall will occur. You know the story. They did. They ate the fruit. As soon as they did it, they're made aware of their sin, right? They go and hide from God, and then you get to, add, you get to Genesis 3, 9. Check this out. Same word. But the Lord God, but God, called to the man and said, where are you? That's God. That's God. He initiates unilaterally. He intercedes. Genesis 8, 1, you got Noah. Um, short story. Noah's on a really big boat in the middle of the water. We've got a bunch of animals, right? Seems like all is lost. He has no hope. You get to Genesis 8.1. It says once again, but God, but God, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were in the ark, and God made the wind blow over the earth. The waters subside. God did that, but God But God, all was lost. It seemed like there was nothing you could hope for. You could do nothing. Adam and Eve could do nothing for themselves. Noah's sitting there in a boat. He can't do nothing for himself. And you see, but God intercedes and changes everything. I got a whole list. You can go to Abraham, Joseph, our our series. Do you remember? Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me. What's the next words? But God. But God meant it for good. David, Rahab, Daniel, Elijah, Paul, on and on and on. We, we, could, we, we, could, we could be here all night talking about this. But here is what I want to talk about specifically before we move on. I want to talk about my story. <laughs> I'm not in the Bible. Okay, I'm not in the Bible. But my story 
is a result of it. You got the 80s. How many of you guys alive in the 80s? You just raise your hand. That was a good decade, wasn't it? I just got straight up. So you got the 80s. I'm sitting there. It's me, right, man? God, I, I got no love for the God. I'm dead. I'm disobedient. I'm depraved. I'm doomed. There was nothing I could do to help myself. In fact, I was even unaware that I was lost. Intercede those two words. But God. But God showed up. And God saved me. I love those words. This salvation, this grace is personal. It's by this personal grace, this divine intervention that I am saved. But God, two words, two words, man, changes everything, everything. So God's grace is personal. We're going to keep going. Check this out. The rest of verse 4, God's grace is precious. It's precious. Let me read this to you. Listen, I love the Bible for so many reasons. I really love the verses in the Bible that describe my God. And these do. Listen, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Tremendous. Break it down. First thing, talking about my God. It says that he is rich in mercy. Cool. What does mercy mean? Simply, Mercy is not giving sinners what they deserve. Mercy is not giving sinners what they deserve, holding back what should come. All right? That's mercy. Mercy speaks of what God doesn't do to us or to me, even though I deserve it. And then, and I love language, I love it so much, you got this word mercy, but right before it, Paul sticks on an adjective. It's a neat adjective. The adjective is rich. In English, we use the word rich, rich in mercy. Like, like God ain't broke when it comes to mercy, right? The Greek word that he uses is plusios. It's a Greek word. Now, plusios literally means limitless, okay? It means without bounds. Now, we've translated it as rich, right? But, but, but the, 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 the plusios is this limit. It means limitless, right? Now I was thinking on this. The English word for limitless, and this is one of the reasons why I think perhaps rich is a better translation, because honestly, the English word limitless really does not mean without bounds. It doesn't, right? It doesn't. It really means a lot. Honestly, when someone says limitless in English, it means, honestly, it means a lot. And I can prove this to you because I learned this the hard way. All right? I'm going to prove it to you. All right? We don't really mean limitless when we say limitless in English. Okay? So, like, some of you have been here. Okay? I'm in college. Right? Maybe you don't have a lot of money. You want to eat cheap. <laughs> now, this would have been the 90s. Right? I'm going to Taco Bell. All right? Taco Bell. Now, the thing about Taco Bell was it was inexpensive. Don't use the word cheap because someone might, you know, send me an email. It's not cheap. Okay? It's inexpensive. All right? And they offered what they called limitless drinks, refills, refills. Do they still do that? Limitless refills. Okay, that's good. But you know what? They don't mean plusios, boundless. They just simply mean a lot. And I know that. I know that because you cannot continue to get refills 
after you leave the place and come back, right? You can't. You're laughing because you tried before, haven't you? It's got bounds to it. Um, you can do this one, do this one. I, I challenge you, do this one. Go for lunch, get the limitless refills, eat your lunch, hang out for four hours, don't leave the place, go order some dinner, come back, and, and try to use that drink again. It's not. Like, no, no, there's bounds to it. You can't do that either. You can't. In fact, when you go to order, they let you know immediately they're not talking about pusillos. Because they say, they say this, they say this. You, you, it's not limitless. They say this. You order. It doesn't make sense. Okay, so you order. They say, would you like a small or a large drink? What does it matter? It's limitless. Give me the small and bring me a bucket, right? It's not limitless. So we don't. That's, we don't. Don't get, me st- don't get me started on Olive Garden. Limitless breadsticks. Once again, go at lunchtime, hang out, see what happens at dinner time. So that's the deal. It's the thing. So they mean limitless English word. They don't need, mean plusios. But what we got to understand is that's what Paul's talking about here. It is a mercy that knows no bounds. It is unlimited in scope. There is nothing impinging upon it. Our God is rich in mercy. Now, here's the cool thing. Paul says this. So, so it's one thing, okay, it's one thing if Paul would have said, he, God's rich in mercy, that's awesome. What makes it amazing is he gives me access to this wealth of mercy. That's the interesting thing. Like, like, it's cool. Someone, you may know a rich man, a rich woman. That's cool. Cool for them. I'm happy for them. But then it's when they give you access to that wealth that it actually means something to you, right? So God could have all this mercy, but unless I had access to it, it really does me no good at all. So the question is, why does God allow you and I to have access to this placeos of mercy? Paul tells us, look, because of the great love, because of his great love, we have access to this mercy. This is love. Man, I got this question. I always get questions reading the Bible. I'm, I'm sure you as well. You do as well. Okay, if it's the love that gets me access to this mercy, what kind of love are we talking about? Let me just tell you what kind of love from the Bible. Jeremiah tells us it's an eternal love. Romans 5.8 tells us it's a sacrificial love. Romans 8.38 tells us, an uncon- tells us it's an unconditional love. John 15.9 says it's a personal love. John 3.16 says it's an effectual love. This type of love that our God has is beyond my comprehension. It's precious. It's precious. Romans 5.8 tells us God loves us while we were enemies. God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the depths of our sin, we deserve nothing but his wrath and damnation and had no reason for him to redeem us. But because of this great love, this great love, he showed us mercy and grace. It's tremendous. Yeah. I realize this. I realize this. You may be here today, and you may be sitting there saying, I get this intellectually, I understand, I understand this, but you know what? You don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. You don't understand what I have done. You see, I get, I get, you may be sitting there saying, I understand why the person next to me has access to this mercy and grace. And I understand why the person over here has access to mercy and grace. 
but I'm broken. You don't know what I've done? Pastor Travis, you don't know what I think. I concede, I do not. I don't. But God does. God does. Think about this. How much glory does God receive when he saves someone who has been broken and he uses that broken vessel for his glory? This is one of the... Real quick, we could go for a long way here, but i got to tell you something. This is one of the staggering things to me. God has ordained that the gospel is to be spread by the very broken vessels whom he has saved. It's mind-blowing. I mean, he could have very easily had the gospel proclaimed by angels, but instead he uses the broken vessels whom he has saved to tell to go to the ends of the earth. We get the commission. God's grace is personal. God's grace is precious. Get to verse 5. God's grace is profound. I've alluded to this already, but let's, let's kind of sit on this. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So you're working this kind of looking back. So he has this Pusil's mercy, right? Boundless, limitless. We have access to this mercy because of his love. And when did we get access to it? While we were still dead in our trespasses. Two quick things to pull out here. Okay, one's quick, one's not so quick. <laughs> First thing I do, because this really stood out to me. Um, this verse here is almost exactly the same thing Paul said in verse 1 of last week. He only changes a pronoun. Okay, so verse 1 he said, and you were dead in your trespasses. And here he says, we were dead in our trespasses. He only changes the pronoun. He changes the pronoun you to we. The question is, why is Paul doing this? I believe Paul is doing this because he's letting all of us know. He's letting everyone in this church know, all the readers know, that he too is a recipient of this profound grace. That he was not unique, that he did not merit it, that he too was dead and disobedient and doomed. Makes it really clear, we. Second thing, two words. I know sometimes long passages can blow you away, but I am continually just blown away by the, the small words. He says two words, even when. Like I've already said, even when. Even when I was rebelling, right? Paul is exceedingly clear. You, please hear me. Please hear me. Because I know what I'm about to say is something that some of you wrongly believe, okay? Paul is exceedingly clear. God did not wait until we improved our condition. He did not wait for us to reform. He did not wait for us to get better. He set his love on us while we were still dead in our sins. In spite of our wickedness, he reached down knowing that we would not reach up or could not. And the reason why I know there's many who struggle with this is I have people from time to time, they'll come to me or they'll write to me or they'll text to me or Facebook me or whatever, and they'll say something like this. Hey, Pastor Travis, it was great hearing the service, or, or maybe I met them somewhere. I met them somewhere. And, um, ooh, I'm going to pause a minute. I'm sorry. I love you. Hey, so uh, two weeks ago I went on vacation, and I just want to let you, I want to encourage you guys, Okay. Because I talked about social media. I was on vacation. I was on two planes, all right? 
every plane that I, every place I sat, there was a person beside me, and every one of them I got to um, share the gospel with, and every one of them, maybe not one of them, three of them, three of them, three of them, um, I asked them, this is what I said. I said, are you on Instagram? They said, yes. I said, I'll follow you, you follow me, right? And they did. One of them has already looked at all my stuff, and if you are all seeing that stuff, I'm always talking about church and the gospel, wrote back and said, thank you, it was great meeting you. That's an aside, just a rabbit trail, okay? Just a rabbit trail. I want you to, I want you to leverage your social media. I want you to leverage everything, okay? Side trail. I'm sorry. We're going to... Sorry, let's get back into this. People co- contact me on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and they'll say something like this. They'll say something like this. Travis, I will start attending church, and I will get right with God, but first I have to get cleaner. First I have to defeat the one little sin that has kind of entangled me. Here's what I always say when someone says that to me. You're deceiving yourself. You cannot wait to respond to God until you have everything just right. Paul just made it clear. He says, even when, even when you were in your trespasses, you are deceiving yourself. If you think that there is a time in the future that you are going to be perfect and right without Christ, it's not going to happen. And that's the crazy thing. The very thing that you need... In order to overcome the sins that so easily entangle is God the Spirit. You need salvation. And that's the very thing that you're staying away from. You will, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. We're saved by grace, even in our sins. We're saved by grace. Saved by grace. Saved by grace even when we were dead in our trespasses. So it's personal, his grace is. Oh man, it's precious. It's profound. It's profound. Getting to um, the next section of verse 5, God's grace is powerful. He goes on to say, this is so good. Made us alive together with Christ. This is a God-saturated, powerful verse. Okay, let's just look at it, kind of break it down. Who's doing the action here? God is, right? He unilaterally does this. God made us. God made us alive, all right? That's the second thing. God unilaterally, on his own initiative, God makes. He doesn't ask permission as though I can hold back the hand of God, and then he makes us alive. Now, I love it. Here's what I want to talk about here, this, this us alive. You can circle it. You can underline it. It's a tremendous statement, but um, here's the deal. Um, it's kind of presents a theological problem, does. There's a theological problem when Paul says this, right? Small problem. There's a small problem, Paul. And you say, what's the problem? What's the problem? What's the theological problem with God making us alive? Well, remember, I've already said this. God told Adam, God told Adam what? He said, Adam, if you sin, death will follow, right? And then we also know, and he did, he died, he died. Death followed, the fall occurred, all right? We also know that the wages of sin is death, all right? 
And then we also know all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so Paul, you're telling me he made us alive. That's a problem, Paul. That's a problem because the Bible says, starting in Genesis all the way through, and Christ even talks about it. Oh, Paul, even you've already said this. You, de- you sin, you fall short, you die. How in the world? Paul, you, 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 something's wrong. Something doesn't add up. How can we be made alive. What's going on here? Well, he tells us in that verse, he works it out. He says, together with Christ. You see, the answer to the problem is Jesus. God came down, put on flesh, He did not sin. That's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he never sinned. But he died on the cross. He died on the cross. But if he didn't sin, why'd he die? Second Corinthians tells us God made him, that's Jesus, who know no sin to become sin so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. That's your answer. That's the answer. That's the answer to the theological problem. That's how he makes us alive in Christ. Jesus died for sin, to be sure, but not his sin, my sin. He died in my place, my sin placed on him. Colossians tells us he was punished in my place for my sin. It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus made, it's through Jesus we are made alive. In other words, apart from the grace of God, apart from what Christ did on the cross, I cannot be made alive. Jesus did it all. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Uh, I told this story. I want, I want to tell you another story. Um, I've told this before, but it's appropriate. I want to tell it again. Um, if you've heard it before, you can laugh just as hard, all right? It'll make me feel good. No, here's the deal. So um, we're, in, we're in Tanzania, a predominantly Muslim setting, and um, I'm preaching in this church. It's growing. We have three buses, small buses, not big buses, but three buses coming from different parts of the city. God saving, God saving, God saving. A lot of people. It's tremendous, okay? One Sunday, I'm preaching, and I notice that there's a, a young man sitting right about where Kevin is, all right? And um, he's, 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 he's dressed up. He doesn't look like any of us, all right? He looks really sharp. We did not, we weren't the sharpest looking people around. And... <laughs> Anyway, so I noticed that's peculiar, so I preach, and I thought he would never come back. I preach the next week, he comes back. I preach the third week, he's just sitting there. He's really stoic. At the end of the service, he comes up to me to talk to me, and here's what he said. He goes, here's the deal. I go to another church, and we were just curious about all that's going on at this church. And I go, well, man, I'm glad you're here. He goes, but here's the deal. He goes, here's the deal. I don't really get what's going on here. I had been here for three weeks, and the only thing you ever talk about is Jesus. And I said, you come back next week, guess what we're going to talk about? Jesus. I got one sermon, and the subject's always the same. It's Jesus. Guys, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to this problem. Jesus is the way in which God makes us alive by what he accomplished on the cross. Finally, let's get to the last part of verse 5. God's grace is perfect. By grace, you have been saved. It's almost as if, if Paul has been talking, he says, but God, rich in mercy, because of his love, we're going to have access to this mercy. And he goes through it and he says, just burst out. Guys, it's by grace you're saved. 
It's by grace you're saved. You can feel Paul from his gut just letting the reader know, I don't know what you may think. I don't know what you may have been told, but you got to understand you've been saved by grace, and it's grace alone. That's Paul. So God's response to the sinner's plight is one of mercy. Mercy. The motive to this mercy is his love. The basis to um, access this mercy is grace and the cross. In spite of our trespasses, in spite of our sins, in spite of our worldliness, in spite of our disobedience, in spite of deserving wrath and death, God steps in, intervenes, and shows us mercy and grace. And why does he do it? Because of his great love. But you have to access it through Christ Jesus. Let me just finish by um, showing you one more thing that I think is helpful. Grammatically, this last verse is what is in what's called the perfect tense. The perfect tense, this is really helpful. Please, please just stick with me. Stick with me real quick. The perfect tense indicates a completed action with continuing results, okay? This means that we're saved by grace. And when he saves, saves us, it is a completed at the moment of conversion. But that same grace keeps you safe and saved from the wrath of God's. In other words, God's grace not only provides salvation for the sinner when he saves you, but it enables the believer to be acceptable, live an acceptable life before God. Guys, grace is greater. Last week, greater than your guilt, he saves you. This week, greater than your brokenness, because that same grace is going to carry you and sustain you. God's grace is greater. So, I don't know where you may be today. I don't know. Maybe you don't know this grace. Maybe you think you're broken beyond repair. Let me just finish by reading our text again. But God is plusios, rich in mercy. Why? Do I have access to it? Because of his great love? Yes, even when you were dead in your trespasses and broken, and you were made alive. How am I made alive? Jesus, by grace, you have been saved. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part, so please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.